So here we are uh, for worship today. So good morning. <laughs> it's, be, it's good to be breaking bagels with you this morning. Um, I haven't gotten mine yet, but I'll get it after this. But here at Wellspring, we've been going through a summer series on transitions, and the series is called um, Between. And uh, if you go to your phone and you have the lyrics from before, we should have some worship notes there. And I printed a bunch out just for those of you that uh, maybe have tired eyes. Uh, So if you want to follow along with me as I get ready to read our text, uh, I have some by the bagels. So there's that there. But we've been going through this series on transitions as Wellspring goes through our own transition. And also as we navigate some of the larger transitions going around us in our culture, in our world, in our church landscape, um, in the needs of our community. Um, And so we've been in the books of Exodus and Numbers, and today we're going to be looking at a story in Numbers 11. We've been going through different pit stops in the children of Israel in their journey out of Egypt to the promised land. And as we do so, we're getting principles from their transition that are applicable to us while also being aware that this isn't just a story for us to, you know, pull up life applications for, but this is also an embodied story uh, that speaks very clearly to the nature of our God who frees the captives, who watches out for the oppressed, and who wants to bring God's people, and indeed all of the world, into greater freedom, into greater community with God, and into worship and goodness together. So this is a, a God who, who journeys with Israel in transition and who journeys with us in transition. Now, um, as I looked at the theme for this week, and um, because it was my birthday, I had a couple of days off. I did two days. So Wednesday was my first day of the week. And then I felt like there was a lot of catch up. And, you know, it was evening by the time I looked at the text. And the text was about meltdown. And I thought, how appropriate, because I... <laughs> That, I, I resonate with that. And then uh, later in the week, I was asking Dan for some meltdown stories. I thought maybe I could tell a funny story about a you know, kid we knew that who melted down or something without using names. I don't know. And uh, I didn't tell Dan fast enough. Uh, but when I said, do you have a story of a meltdown? And I knew he was about to mention something I'd done earlier in the week. <laughs> I'm like, not one I've done recently. <laughs> Meltdowns from the past, please, preferably not any of us. (laughs) But yeah, um, so the theme is on meltdown, and it's not like, you know, a violent, horrific meltdown. It's not not, uh, that kind of meltdown. Instead, it's more like the passage we look at scripture is a meltdown where someone has just felt a lot and has this sort of emotional breakdown. So I'm not speaking of meltdowns today in the violent tense where someone could throw things or be violent, like that to me goes beyond the category of meltdown. We're looking at a meltdown today of scripture, someone who got really flooded and had a vent somewhere. So um, before we look at our text, just a quick, a quick little bit of context. Um, the story is set in ancient times. This is probably the Bronze Age. Uh, the children of Israel have just been freed from oppression, but they've been under oppression for, for generations. So they really carry generational trauma with them. And uh, they've experienced God as the one who keeps promises to their ancestors, but they're in the wilderness and it's not fun and it's easy to forget. And right now they're sort of camped out in the wilderness and they're waiting for a new generation to come of age who are less scarred from their past and able to have more hope for building a future in their ancestral lands. So that's the context we find ourselves in, in Numbers 11. And I'll read it for you. And if you want to follow along on a screen or go grab a copy, you can feel free to do that. Numbers 11, 10 through 15, I'm reading from the CEB. Moses heard the people crying throughout their clans, each at his tent's entrance. The Lord was outraged and Moses was upset. 
Moses said to the Lord, why have you treated your servant so badly? And why haven't I found favor in your eyes? For you placed the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive these people? Did I give birth to them that you would say to me, carry them at the breast as a nurse carries an unweaned child to the fertile land you promised their ancestors? Where am I to get meat for these people? They are crying before me and saying, give us meat so we can eat. I can't bear this people on my own. They're too heavy for me. If you're going to treat me like this, please kill me. If I found favor in your eyes, don't let me endure this wretched situation. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we are, the middle of a meltdown. It's in the middle of a meltdown, as you may see. The story did not start there, and it does not end there. And story encompasses actually multiple meltdown stories at once. Actually, God's pretty upset in the story. The scripture says that God's nose was hot. That's the way of saying in the Hebrew that God was upset. And then Moses is upset, and Moses is upset actually at God being upset. That verb in the Hebrew is pointing back at the direct object of God being upset. So when we say Moses is upset, Moses is upset at God being upset. And then the children of Israel are upset because they've been in the desert for a while, and they're really sick of manna. They are so sick of manna. That stuff, it just takes like honey, and they want something umami. They want meat. (laughs) Yeah, they're really sick of it. They're just over it. So they're like wailing at their tents. God's mad. Moses is mad. It's sort of multiple meltdowns happening. Now, as I look at Moses' meltdown uh, this week, I saw some things in it that I had never noticed before. And one of them I had to look in a couple commentaries because I wasn't sure whether I was making it up, but it turns out it was really there. And it comes to the, the specific way that Moses is talking to God and the words that he's using in this passage. And see, the, the word you in English is gender neutral. If I'm talking to my husband, I can use the word you, and it encompasses him. Or if I'm talking to my cat, Squeaky, I can say, Squeaky, you're a good cat. And all of that Squeaky's a good cat. All of that is gender neutral. You wouldn't know what gender Squeaky is. Squeaky is a good cat. Squeaky, you are a good cat, right? That you is neutral. But in the Hebrew language, you is not gender neutral. So all throughout this passage, Moses is using the male pronoun for God, the male pronoun for you, which is ata, 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 ata. But then Moses changes. It's almost like Moses is saying this. It's like he's saying, God, these aren't my kids. I didn't conceive them. I didn't give birth to them. You conceived them. You gave birth to them. Do you remember when you called Israel your firstborn son earlier in Exodus? I remember I heard you because I was your prophet and that's what you said. This is your baby. I can't breastfeed your baby. I don't have the parts. And Moses uses the female pronoun, at uses a female pronoun for there. As if Moses is saying, I don't have the parts, God, you do. I'm just your male nanny carrying your people around. I didn't give birth to them, I didn't conceive them, Uh, I don't have the parts to nurse them, and I'm done. And they're heavy, they're so, 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 so heavy. This is one heavy baby. Do you kind of get Moses' meltdown? He's really upset. And he's saying, this isn't my baby, this is your baby. Moses has reached this point in the wilderness where he realizes he doesn't have the parts necessary to keep going as it is. He's come to the very end of his capacity. Now, yesterday, um, actually all throughout the week, we've had, and throughout the weeks, we've had so much help. 
to get to the place to where it is today. And um, this is just how it is temporarily. Um, in a couple months when we come in, who knows what it'll look like. It could have a very different orientation and there might be things hanging from the ceiling and ceilings might be lifted and hopefully we'll have a carpet at some point in time and it'll be different. And pretty soon you won't have to use your phone anymore for lyrics, but it's not that way right now. So last week, um, last Saturday actually, yesterday, wow, it's yesterday. <laughs> what day is today? Oh, wow. I don't have all the parts necessary for this either. <laughs> Good thing God is here. Um, so yesterday when the guys were getting uh, the sinks ready, they were making sure that each bathroom had soap. Because that's kind of important, right? If we're going to have a bunch of people in here on Sunday, let's make sure we have soap in the bathrooms, um, even if one of the sinks isn't working. Um, and that's when they discovered actually that the sink wasn't working. They put the soap in there and they're like, the sink's not working. And then when they looked at it, they realized that... Um, you know, they have skill between all the guys that were there. They have a lot of talent. They had experience. They could totally have fixed it. But get this, they didn't have the parts. Didn't have the parts. We didn't have the parts here. Thankfully, we don't need the parts because the workers are coming this week. They have the parts and they're going to bag it all up so it's wheelchair accessible. So that's all good. We realized that with all the skill, with the talent, uh, with the experience, when you lack the parts, sometimes you just can't do it, right? You are at the end of your capacity. And I think sometimes when we go through life, especially when we go through transitions, sometimes we hit moments where we have these realizations that I just don't have the parts for this. I don't have the part for this. Maybe I don't have the parts to make it through this conversation with my parents or with my children in a way that is truthful and loving. I just can't do it. Or I don't have the parts in me to navigate all these changes with my job or with the economy going right now or with the way the political landscape feels. We might have a realization that I don't have what it takes to make my marriage, my partnership a success. Or maybe just I don't have it in me to get it through another school year, another change, another transition, another loss. I was talking with one of our staff members this past week and it was a really good conversation and they mentioned uh, just Wellspring being really resilient. I was like, yeah, Wellspring is really resilient, right? If we were, if we were a baby, we'd be a resilient baby. <laughs> we are thinking about all the things that Wellspring's been through, um, you know, over the last just even three years with Pastor Dale retiring and Bev passing away and um, who's his wife and a really important part of our community and COVID hitting and changing all of our plans, all of our hopes for everything. Um, needing to sell our building because the lease on the land was so high. And then after selling the building, navigating, moving into a smaller portion of it, and then needing to move out and land well and find another place. I think there's been a lot of change. And you all have done so well, right? We've come so far. But at the same time, I think that we do have to name that sometimes, at some point in the journey, at some point in transition, we might hit a wall might realize, you know, I don't have the parts for this particular part of the journey. Like I said earlier, I know I don't have all the parts for this. I haven't been able to do any of this by myself. Everything related to our move has been us all together working. Uh, this past, I think last Sunday when we had our work day, uh, during the week, Eric and the sound team and uh, Pat and the live stream team, and then all you guys who came out early this morning, and those of you that are here today to participate, like, it takes all of us. 
and takes all of us to make this space into a new home and a new place from which to launch and love our community and keep reaching people with and alongside and in the love of Jesus. So I know that no one person or even one ministry team or even our staff have all the parts to transition and keep going into renewal, but rather with all of us together. Oh wait, I'm skipping to the happy part. We gotta go in the sad a little longer. Can you do that? Okay, so here we go, here's the bad news. The bad news is we can't do it by ourselves. No one person or ministry team has all the parts. It's just the way it is. And it sounds like bad news because in our culture, we have all these like wonderful empowerment slogans that are amazing. Like, you go girl, you can do it. You know, we, we push past the, the, the limits. There's all these things that we wanna do to actualize ourselves, and, and yet the bad news we see in this text is even Moses, who is an extremely resilient person and who's done a ton of self-actualization, is partnered with God, even Moses doesn't have all the parts. So uh, the bad news is we actually can't do everything by yourself. And it, it sounds a little like bad news depending uh, yeah, on your vantage point. And that's not all the bad news because there's more bad news in this passage. And that's at this, and I'm gonna go through these, these really quickly. But basically that the change and the loss from their transition, along with some sin we're gonna look at in a second, has really brought all of Israel into a really dangerous place. So not only is there a meltdown happening you know, this week in our text, but they're in a dangerous place of a meltdown. It's a place where there is a lot of heat, like if you can imagine being on the edge of a volcano. Like we know that volcanoes can do great things, like they've made all the land that we're on. We also know they can be really hot and you don't wanna to be too near one. And right now, the temperature in their, in their place has really gone up. Like so much so that actually the chapter opens when like fire breaks out and people are so upset, they actually attribute it to God. They're like, God, our parent is doing that, consuming some of us because they're so much at odds with each other and with God, that's the way they're seeing God. So it's, it's a dangerous place. And I'm gonna look really quickly at change, loss, and sin. Why are those dangerous things? I'm gonna start with sin because we know that's dangerous and because change and loss are not sinful. Those are just a regular part of being in the world. So first of all, sin. Sin, if we define it as failing to love our neighbor or causing harm to our neighbor, right, which creates chain reactions in the world which dishonor God and harm us. If we look at that, we look at what kind of sin is listed here. Like, what kind of sin? Well, if we go ahead and read the whole passage, you'd see that the people are saying in verse 18, it was better for us in Egypt. And verse 20, why did we leave Egypt? Remember how they're all sick of the, ma the manna and they want meat? What they say there is what makes God so upset. What they say there is what's so dangerous. It was better in Egypt. Wasn't it better in Egypt? Why did we leave Egypt? Now, if you think about it, that is dangerous because Egypt was a place of death and slavery and oppression. Egypt killed their children. Egypt told them what to do with their time. Egypt stole hours, days, years of their life. Your body was owned by Pharaoh. And for them to be there in the wilderness saying, why did we leave Egypt? Is something that is dangerous because it has so much huge potential to cause harm. 
If everyone decides, yeah, why did we leave Egypt? It was better in Egypt. We had all these wonderful things there. Yes, we had cumin, we had garlic, we had onions, we had fresh and free fish. Literally, if you go read the passage, they're listing so much food, I'm getting hungry when I read it. I'm like, dang, that's a lot of good food in Egypt. Why did you leave Egypt? So this is dangerous, right? Because they're rewriting history to make it better to meet their current cravings of the moment. They're taking out the things that were dangerous and hard, and they were rewriting it uh, to kind of serve their current interests, which is, I really want some meat, and let's do anything necessary to get some meat. And the reason why that's so dangerous is if they went back to Egypt, I'm sure Pharaoh would be like, you want some fish? Come this way. (laughs) Pharaoh would have been delighted to have them back. He'd have all slaves back. And once again they would have been in a terrible situation that they would have regretted. There would have been violence. There would have been pain. There would have been death. So they're in a dangerous place with this sin. And as I think about their sin of rewriting history, I also think about our sin of rewriting history as a culture of wanting to take those things out that make us don't look very good of wanting to rewrite maybe us being resistant to change or us being resistant to God's good ways, us us wanting to rewrite things. So that sin is not a new one. It is very, very old. Make us sound less cruel, maybe less racist. Make Pharaoh sound a little better because there was good fish. So sin can be dangerous. And the people's sin of saying Egypt wasn't so bad was a dangerous thing. What about change? Change is dangerous? How is change dangerous? Well, let me tell you a story. When Dan and I were in seminary about one year in, we moved units. And we moved from one side of the hallway to the other side of the hallway. And it was really great because the other side of the hallway had access to an outside courtyard, which means our kids could run around and play with their friends. It was fantastic. The thing is, when you change from one side of the hallway to the other, it was exactly the opposite layout. So you walk in and everything is in exactly the opposite place, right? Instead of walking in and kind of going to the left, you walk in and go to the right. I don't know. I can't remember, but it was very confusing. And then me, I have a hard time spatially. So the first couple weeks, I'm bumping to everything. Like, why is that furniture there? And who put the corner of the wall there? Ow! And I was just covered in bruises because change sometimes can be a little dangerous. (laughs) When there's things shifted around and we're not really sure where everything is anchored yet, when we're still learning our new routines, when things are still up in the air, sometimes we can get a little bruised. Sometimes change can be dangerous, especially when we're exhausted, like poor Moses, who is despairing of life. Then there's loss. Loss can be dangerous because the pain we experience from it can cause us to really withdraw into ourselves, right? Or it can cause us to act out. It can cause us to do all sorts of things. But the particular way I want to draw our attention to is one that I see Moses kind of exhibiting this passage. And in this passage, Moses can't see a way forward that includes him living, You can't see a way forward that includes his participation in what God is doing. His range of thinking has become very limited. This is not a sinful thing. This is a pain and loss thing. And God responds with so much compassion to him. And I think sometimes when we go through loss, we can lose some of the ability for us, even in our neural pathways, to think of new thoughts. Almost like there's this one... uh, uh, this, this poet, and he's a, a Celtic, was a Celtic priest in the Catholic Church, John O'Donohue. And he talks about how sometimes our minds can become like an old house or an old room that's been shut up. And if you shut it up, eventually, like, there gets a film of sort of, you know, dust or whatever over the windows, and the air is really dank. 
And when you walk in, it's hard to see out the window. There's no fresh air. And he says sometimes our brains can be a little bit like that. Sometimes our brains can just sort of shut down, whether it's because of loss or grief. And it, there's no fresh air, no fresh flow of ideas. Our vision becomes limited. We can't really see other options. And here, this is what I see Moses doing, right? When he gets to a place where he wonders if he should be alive. And friends, if this is ever, if you've ever experienced this, please know that your life matters. We want you to live just as God wanted Moses to live. You don't have to carry the pain alone. And there's good, good help and um, healthy relief and places to melt down. You can call or text um, 988 which is a crisis hotline. There's always the 988lifeline.org if you'd rather text. Um, there's always calling 911. Um, I have a bunch of uh, suicide crisis hotlines and different information that I got from, uh, from one of the members of our community, Elizabeth, and I put it right over there by the bagels. So if you just want to grab it and have it on hand for a friend uh, in case you ever need it in the future, kind of, you know, when you have the refrigerator, back in the day you would put all like, the essential like utilities and who to call if the electricity goes off. I've had one of those magnets in my fridge. You can also put this on your fridge. Like this is just a great, a great resource to have. So Moses, he's in the situation. You know, he doesn't have nine nine. Um, he doesn't have nine eight eight hotline, but he does have God. And so he asks God to kill him. Right? There's danger all around. The children of Israel they want to go back to Egypt. Moses doesn't see a way forward. God's mad. <laughs> there's danger. It's the temperature is hot, but there's also a lot of possibility. Now, in my room, in my house, I have one room that's sort of like a dangerous room. It also happens to be the hottest room of our house, especially as the sun sets. And not only is a hot room of the house as the sun sets, but there's actually fire in that room. I can access fire whenever I want in that room. It's a room that has really heavy things in it with handles, perfect for braining intruders if they walk in at three in the morning. It's a place that has many sharp objects you kind of got to store away from the kids and keep in a safe place. That place is my kitchen, <laughs> right? My cast iron pans, my stove, my matchbox. Um, it's also the room of the house that's the most productive. It's the most dangerous, but it's also the most fruitful. It's where we spend most of our time. At least my children do, opening the fridge and seeing if there's anything new there than when they open the fridge five minutes beforehand. <laughs> Sometimes I do that too. <laughs> Maybe brownies magically appeared. They did not. <laughs> so friends, the bad news is that change, loss, and sin can bring us to dangerous places. But the good news is that with God, dangerous places can be places of presence and good possibility where you don't have to have all the parts. Because you know what God tells Moses? He tells him, instead of, instead of killing you like you ask, instead, I'm going to multiply your spirit. Find 70 good people, find 70 men, and I'm going to put your spirit in them. You're going to have help to lead these people, my heavy, heavy baby. <laughs> That's what God does. Moses gets help. He doesn't have to carry the burden alone. There's 70 men with him who are carrying it, who have his spirit, which means they're like-minded. They're like-minded. Rather than shutting Moses down, God expands through Moses and through other people, what God can do. Moses doesn't have to have all the parts. He has 70 other people there to help him now. The children of Israel, they ask for meat and they actually get exactly what they ask for. They want to meet, they get meat. 
They get this whole host of quails that come down, and they eat so many quails that a plague breaks out, and they get sick, and it's sort of a disaster. Uh, almost as if, you know, you have a baby that's like, I don't want milk anymore, and you'd give them meat. Why well, I don't know why you would do that, and the baby would get sick. So I'm kind of like, God, where is your parenting here? But I guess God decided to take some tough love that day. And I'm like, you want meat? You're going to have meat. So they did, and I guess that actually solved the problem for a while. Then they're not having the dangerous, dangerous thing of saying, oh, remember all the meat we had in Egypt? Wasn't that great? Suddenly, Egypt doesn't look so great anymore. And then they remember, oh, we also got flogged there, and I also lost some of my children. So God saved the day. God's presence showed up in this hot place where there was a lot of danger, but there was also possibility. So friends, the good news in this text for today is that just as God was present in the bad news, in the wilderness, in the meltdown, in the dangerous place, that God is present with us in our bad news, in the hot place, when it gets a little dangerous. And in that place with God comes possibility. That's what I want to leave you with today. If it sometimes feels like the temperature is going up, oh, there's a lot of change, there's a lot of stuff going on, let's remember that with God, it's also many things that are possible. And if maybe change and loss is really hard and you feel like you're in that dangerous place, then you can reach out for help. We don't have to do it alone. And if you're wondering, oh, maybe it was bad, better back in the day, you can remind God, God, what are you doing here right now? What do you want to draw my attention to in this moment that you are doing that is good? So with that in mind, let's pray. And we got to take some communion. Lord, I thank you that you are with us in all the changes. I thank you that you are a God who desires health and maturing for us, just as you wanted your baby Israel to grow up and mature and be a place of justice and peace where your worship, where you were worshiped and where there's goodness abounding. Lord, I thank you for reminding us that, uh, yes, sometimes we find ourselves in dangerous places with our transition and in our transitions, but that you also are there to turn those dangerous places into places of really good productivity and powerful connection and presence and possibility. So be with us now, Lord. I pray that you feed us with your own life, your own goodness. Give us food for the journey as we continue with you and with each other. We ask all our prayers, those spoken and those unspoken, in the name of Jesus, amen.